Let's pray. Father God, you are our righteousness and our one defense. And we need you. I pray that you would help us to reflect on your word. I pray that you would speak to us and encourage us. Help me to say the words that you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. In 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 24, there is an amazing story here. And there's a, a lot of lessons to learn from it. So let me read from verses 24 through 29 to start. <clears throat> Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his army, and he went up and he besieged Samaria. Or Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, And the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung sold for five shekels of silver. Now, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help me, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give me your son, that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him, and on the next day I said to her, Give your son, that we may eat him. But she had hidden her son. And when the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Um, Look at the desperate condition of Samaria in this story. I mean, they're in bad shape. They are actually eating dove's dung for breakfast and donkey brains for dinner. And then there are women that are actually murdering their own children and eating them. I mean, things don't get much worse than that. This is uh, utter depravity right here. They're living in a terrible situation. Donkey brains. I mean, I've eaten wild boar brains, and those are okay. But donkey brains, those are off limits. Donkeys in the Old Testament for the Israelites, those are unclean animal. You can't eat even backstrap on those guys. Uh, but here they're eating donkey brains. So the conditions here are terrible. And this is really... <clears throat> A picture of our world today. Look at our world today. The condition in which we find our world. Um, The condition in which we're living. Unbelievable. I mean, here it talks about women killing their children and eating them. Well, we don't eat our children, but abortion. I mean, the blood of millions of infants, runs across our country like a river. And you look at all of the the drugs, the violence, the gangs, racism, rape, 
Just, I mean, just to mention a few. I mean, look at the condition of our world. What we see in this, this story right here is, is really, it, it's painting. I mean, this is a true story, something that really happened in the history of Israel. But uh, it's a picture of the world in which we live, in the utter depravity where we live. Um, judgment is held back for a time so that men might come to faith in Christ. Full judgment hadn't come on the city yet. So Samarian army, army had surrounded Samaria. The Syrians had surrounded Samaria. And uh, <clears throat> they hadn't invaded and, and destroyed and pillaged and raped and, and killed all kinds of people yet. But they were, I mean, they were sieging the city. Satan has set a siege against this world. And this world is starving to death. Spiritually. Spiritually speaking. But God has sent out some of His messengers. And He's given time to this world so that a few might come to Christ. A remnant might might repent. Um, He sent a few to preach a message of hope in the midst of a dire situation. We're going to see that in a minute. But um, where we work along the rivers, and thank you for praying for these villages. Um, These are villages that I visit along the Wajaga River. And uh, a lot of times in these villages, the only thing to do for entertainment is, is basically fight, get drunk, and fornicate. Those are the, that's where the action is. Uh, that's where the excitement is in, in the villages. And so, um, I mean, really horrible things happen in the villages a lot of times. One time I arrived at the village, and, uh, at one of the villages, uh, Chinamisa, and um, I got there and a couple of drunks had uh, just knocked in the door to a guy that sold beer, and uh, the drunks were out of beer. They wanted more beer. The guy had shut up his, his store at about 3 in the morning, and uh, he was sleeping on his bed. They came into his house. They stole some beer. They broke a beer bottle over his head and then slit his throat with the glass. And then I arrived that morning, and these guys are tied up in the main square, and they're being held at gunpoint. And they said, oh, El Hermano Miqueas, that's me, has just come to the village. He'll take care of the problem. <laughs> we, I took a class called Issues of Missions, at, Issues in Missions at Timaeus, and we dealt with different mi- issues that you might uh, have to handle on the mission field. They didn't teach us anything about that kind of stuff. <clears throat> but, I mean, the utter depravity, the terrible things that happen, not just, I mean, in the jungles of Peru, all over the place. We're living... In Samaria, it's been taken siege by the devil himself. Look at verse 1 then of chapter 7. Skip to verse 1, chapter 7. But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And uh, those are apparently very cheap prices for those kind of things. So Elisha, he gets up on a table in the main square of Samaria and he starts to preach like a wild man, open air. He's basically preaching, tomorrow at about this time, God is going to open up the windows of heaven and he's going to rain down blessing upon blessing upon blessing on our city. 
God has seen our terrible situation in which we live. Mercy. Grace. Forgiveness. A second chance. I mean, I'm sure that the whole message is not here in verse 1. I'm sure the message was longer than this. And just imagining what Elisha preached. Freedom. Forgiveness. I mean, look at the conditions in which we've been living. Uh, I'm sure there was plague. The misery. Almost, they're trapped in their own city. They're prisoners. The darkness. The filth. People that are, if they're eating their own children. I mean, imagine what the city looks like. The darkness. The horrific scenes all around. And then this evangelist gets on top of the table and he starts to preach. God has seen our situation. He loves us. He's going to provide salvation. Blessing upon blessing. In 24 hours time, you're going to see it with your own eyes. I mean, that's a that's an awesome message. But the first thing that you got there is this guy that... Uh, the captain on whose hand the king leaned in verse 2. He said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, that's Elisha, said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Unbelief. Unbelief. Um, I can't tell you how many times I... Have many of you seen this Evangicube? There, there are these, these cubes that, that uh, kind of share the, the main point of the Bible, the gospel, and little pictures, and it unfolds, the cube unfolds. And Anyway, I've started with this cube several times uh, talking to people um, in, the, uh, in different places where I've gone, but I start sharing with one person as they're sitting on a bench, and uh, people will gather around. And oftentimes it's turned into this open-air meeting. And everybody's like gathered around, and they're wanting to hear more. And sometimes I'll just... I'll, I've, preached for an hour like this and then there's more people that have gathered around and they want to hear more so I just, I just start my message over again and preach the same thing. But preaching, preaching this message of our world has been taken siege or the devil has put a siege against this world. This world has been taken captive. Look at the darkness and the wickedness and the horrible things all around us. But at the same time, God has seen the darkness here. He's seen the horrific things that we're going through. And He's provided a great way of salvation. And to preach that message of salvation. George Whitfield said this, I love those that thunder out the Word. The Christian world is in a deep sleep. Nothing but a loud voice can awake them out of it. To be like Elisha. Get up on top of that table to awaken a world that's dying. Um, unbelief. You see this guy on whose hand the king leaned. I need the pulpit here and this risk standing up. <clears throat> um, he refused to believe it. He mocked the man of God and then he received... Basically, a sentence of doom upon himself for his unbelief. Let me read this so I don't miss anything. 
Um, unbelief is a sin by which men greatly dishonor and displease God and deprive themselves of the favors that He has designed for them. Favors, blessings that God has designed for us. But we deprive ourselves of those blessings through unbelief. I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not a health and wealth preacher kind of guy. But at the same time, the Lord does bless His people. And He wants to bless His people. Now, the blessing might not always look like what you want it to look like. But here, the Lord is going to bless His people. But this one guy, maybe there was others, but he at least voices his opinion. He's like, even if God opens up the windows of heaven, could this thing be? And then Elisha responds, you're going to see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to eat of it. You're not going to receive it. So often, because of unbelief, we rob ourselves of blessings that the Lord would have given us. I mean, it's illustrated in the Israelites. They go, into, or they go up to the edge of Canaan and they see the land. They actually send spies in. And then their unbelief, <laughs> we, we can't do it. They end up wandering in the desert for 40 years and that whole generation, they saw it, they got close to it, but they wouldn't taste of the fruit of the land. They wouldn't go in. The story of rich men and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16. You got Lazarus, he's actually, or no, no, the rich man, he's in hell and he sees Abraham and Lazarus in heaven. He saw it, but he wouldn't experience it. Oftentimes that unbelief, you can almost see it, but you don't get to experience it. Once uh, in one of our villages, well, it, um, something like 20 of my villages were flooded out. Um, at this time of year, the, the river rises and uh, there's a lot of flooding that's happening in the villages. And um, we decided to, to just buy tons, seriously tons, thousands and thousands of pounds of rice and beans and noodles and uh, just kind of your basic staple foods and uh, filled up the boat and just went from village to village giving out rations of food to the different families uh, because their, their plantains, their yucca, their, their rice fields, everything had been washed away. People were not, they didn't, they didn't have food, no food sources. And so um, went into the villages. And what I do is I didn't tell anybody what I had at first. I just get out of the boat, run up into the village and go running through, through the village from house to house just yelling, God loves you. Come and receive His blessing. Come to the Sala Evangelica, the church building. Come to the church building to receive God's blessing. God has provided. He loves you. Grace, mercy, love. And people just started coming out. And then they gather at the church and I preached then the gospel. And then I would give a ration to everybody that came. It didn't matter if they were a believer or not. And almost everybody came out. But in one of the villages, one guy, he mocked me. He said, yeah, God brought his blessing. And he, he didn't know that I had brought all of this food. And the guy, afterwards, he saw me passing out the rations. He's like, oh, well, then he came and he wanted a ration. And I thought, I'm going to use this guy later as an illustration. <laughs> and I'm so mean. I didn't give him a ration. I refused to give him a ration. And he, he was so upset. No, you've got to give me you got to give me a ration. I need the food. He didn't believe me. And he lost out on the blessing. Everyone else in the village got it. He lost out on the blessing. Unbelief. 
leads to losing out on God's blessings. Um, Look at verses 3 and 4. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we shall die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. And if they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So, I mean, think of these guys. Uh, Four lepers. They might have, I like to imagine, that they heard Elisha, Elisha's message from over the wall. They're on outside of the city. They're not allowed on the inside because they're lepers. Uh, They might have heard the message from the other side. I don't know. But lepers, imagine these guys, blood and pus streaming down their arms and their legs, possibly, from the open wounds because of leprosy. Their flesh is rotting. They smell bad. They look horrible. They're skin and bones. They're starving to death at the same time, just like everybody else inside the city. Their condition is horrible. I mean, leprosy is, is a symbol of, of sin, oftentimes in the Bible. And you look at these guys, you just think, and you imagine their horrible condition in which they find themselves. And then one of them looks at the other, <clears throat> looks into the hollow face, hollow eyes of the other, well, his, his buddies there. He's like, this is the logic of a leper. What are we doing here? I mean, if we go in the city... Everybody in there is starving to death too. If we just sit here, we're going to starve to death and die in our in our condition here. Why don't we? Why don't we just give ourselves over to the enemy? I mean, if they kill us, that's what's going to happen here. We're going to die anyway. So why don't we just? We'll try to give ourselves over to them. Maybe they'll just take us in as prisoners, and at least they'll give us some bread and water or something. And so. They decide to go for it. This is the logic of the lepers. You gain nothing just sitting there. Now, I don't know if there's any unbelievers here this morning. Maybe maybe you've come this morning for some reason. Not a believer yet. But listen, unbeliever friend, if you're here. You can't go back to where you came from. Maybe it's worse than where you find yourself right now. You can't just sit there in your sin either. You'll die and go to hell. You might as well give yourself over to the enemy. In Ephesians chapter 4, it actually says that we're at enmity with God. God is your enemy in a certain way. It's not because he wants to be your enemy. You've made yourself an enemy against him. Run to him. It's the only solution. It's the only way. You can't go back. You can't stay where you are. You might as well give yourself to him. Just maybe he'll take the problem out of the way. He just might save you from this terrible condition in which you find yourself. Now, believer, and that's most of us here, Believer, you've got a mission. Don't just sit there. These guys look at each other and they're like, we can't go 
in the city. We can't go back to where we came from. We'll die in there. You can't just sit there. We can't just sit there and waste our lives. Let's go do something. Do something for the Lord. Do something for Christ and His great cause. Yeah? It's a big risk. Talked about it a little bit last night. Risk. Risk is right. We're taking risks for God's great kingdom and for His cause. It's a big, it was a big risk for these lepers. They turned themselves in. They might have taken their heads off, the Syrians. It was risky. You go to the mission field, you might get malaria. You might get meningitis. You might get dengue. You might lose a baby. You might go through a lot of hard things. But only one life to live. Soon to a pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. This life is so short in comparison to eternity. An eternal perspective. If you can just get an eternal perspective, that changes everything. Here for such a short amount of time. Don't just sit there. Don't just sit there. The logic of these lepers. And they get up. And they found something amazing. Look at verses 5 to 8. It says right here, So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they had come to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites. I better sit down again. Behold, the king of Israel is hired against us, the king of the Hittites, the king of the Egyptians, to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and they ate and drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and they went and hid them. Then they came back And they entered another tent and carried off things from it. And they went in and hid them. Ooh, thank you. That's a big help. So basically, you see these guys. They experience a great salvation. They go running to the Syrian camp. They go over there. Well, I imagine they're kind of sneaking over there. Kind of thinking, okay, they're going to capture us at any moment here, but uh, silence. All the tents are abandoned. Horses, donkeys are tied up, but no people are there. No one's there. God completely took the problem away. I mean, this is the gospel. God completely took the problem out of the way. The lepers, they didn't do anything to get rid of the problem. All they did was go, and they ended up receiving the blessing. They didn't do anything to get rid of the problem. I kind of, I wonder if it was the same chariots of fire that raptured Elijah a few chapters before, and the same chariots of fire and the armies of the Lord that encamped around Elisha and Gehazi once when they were in a city and the whole army came against them. 
And then uh, God opened up Gehazi's eyes and he saw here an angel, there an angel, everywhere an angel. Uh, and I just, I wonder if it was that same army of chariots of fire and those angels that God sent so that they would terrorize the Syrians and scare them to death and every single one of them fled away. And now none of them are there. God took care of the problem. God did this. They didn't deserve it. They didn't do anything to earn it. They simply went and they received the blessing. I mean, it's a tremendous picture of the gospel. And then, and then think of this. All of, it says that they, they go from tent to tent and they're getting food and they're eating. I kind of imagine they're, they're going and there's these banquet tables that are set. I mean, there's a turkey dinner and roast beef and mashed potatoes and gravy and pecan pie and stuffing and lemon meringue pie and boysenberry pie, apple pie, pumpkin pie with whipped cream. Maybe there's like an Italian table over here and there's, uh, you know, different kinds of spaghettis and uh, ravioli, meat sauces and red sauce. Ooh. And then there's the Peruvian table over here, lomo saltado and uh, pollo a la brasa, ceviche. Most of you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but I mean, really good food. I mean, they're just chowing down. And one of them looks at his other buddy and he's, he like yells and his mouth is just full of pizza. That he, We're saved! We're saved! I mean, another guy's got $100 bills, wads of them in his pocket. I mean, it says they found gold and silver. These guys are loaded. I mean, they went, and I wrote this down, they went, the dramatic change in their life. They went from perdition to salvation. From a curse to a blessing. From death to life. From empty to full. From desperation to jubilation. From poor to rich. From condemnation to justification. I mean, it's a picture of salvation. Where we've come from, and then God takes away the problem, and then He just heaps up the blessings on us. And then, look at what these guys say to themselves in verses 9 to 11. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. It almost seems like this verse should be in the New Testament. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and they called the gatekeepers of the city and they told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians and behold, there was no one to be seen or be heard. Nothing but the horses and tied donkeys and the tents that as, as they were. Then the gatekeeper called out and it was told within the king's household. Can you imagine this? First of all, they're, they're reasoning to themselves. They're stuffing their faces with all this great food. They've got wads of $100 bills in all their pockets and gold and silver and everything. And, and then they realize, we've got to tell somebody. We've got to tell somebody. Samaria, they're living in filth. They don't have anything to eat. The misery, the sickness, the poverty, and, and look at all these blessings that we got. We got to tell somebody. We got to go take the good news. Today is a day of good news. We live in a day of good news. We've got the gospel. 
We've got to take the gospel to Samaria. Got to take the gospel to this world that's suffering horribly. If we're silent and wait until morning light, punishment will overtake us. The lepers here, at least, it seems like they felt like it was a sin. By their wording here, it almost seems like their conviction was it would have been a sin to not share this good news. They actually are talking about there's going to be some consequence come upon us if we don't share this good news. Um, interesting how they're thinking. But then imagine they run back to Samaria. Now they're converted into evangelists. Now they're, they're about to be heroes bringing this good news. Evangelism is basically one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. Someone said that. And that's illustrated right here in this, this story. I mean, can you imagine? So they come running up to the, the walls of Samaria and they've, they've, they've got their mouth full of mashed potatoes and lemon meringue pie in one hand and the other guy's got roast beef and, and uh, all kinds of different things and, and the mouth is full but they're screaming, We're saved! Mercy! Grace! God took the problem away! The Syrians are gone! Open the gates. Open the doors. We're saved. And I mean, people, they start hearing this from their homes. I imagine just people are pouring into the streets and multitudes are running to the gate. Open the gate. Open the gate. I mean, give it to us. Can it be true? Is this real? A day of good news. It's a miracle. God has provided. Hurry. Run. Open the doors. We aren't going to die. There's hope. Um, They could have easily have said, it's a long trip back to Samaria. I kind of don't want to share my lemon meringue pie. Obviously, there is a lot of it there, but they could have easily have said, no, let's just keep it all to ourselves. Um, what are we doing with the gospel? Are we preaching the gospel? Today is a day of good news. Don't be guilty of withholding the message. Don't be guilty of being mute when it comes to the gospel. Um, I want to read this. Uh, I guess I won't read that. Now look at what happens after this. Skip down to verse 17 for the sake of time. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, Two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a seah of fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him, in the gate, and he died. The high cost of unbelief. 
the high cost of unbelief. Imagine the crowds of these people. I was already just mentioned it, how they heard this message from the lepers. They're all streaming out of their houses, multitudes of people in the street, rushing the gate, trying to get the gate open. Um, people pressing hard at the doors, screaming and pounding, trying to get out. And this guy that didn't believe what Elisha had preached, he's down there and he's in charge of opening the gate. I mean, try to imagine trying to open the gate. He's there trying to get the padlock undone, taking the bars off of the gate, and finally he gets it just to crack open and people are pushing against him and pushing, and all of a sudden that crack is open and the doors, people just ripping the doors open, and the guys trample like a stampede of wildebeests just coming over the top of him. The high cost of unbelief. So here, in this kind of the whole story, we live in a desperate world. We live in a desperate world. We have an incredible message. We have an incredible message. God has provided a way of salvation. Blessing upon blessing. Grace. Forgiveness. Love. Hope. Purpose and meaning in life. Forgiveness from the hell that you deserve. Incredible message. We must make daring decisions. Take a risk to take that message. Today is a day of good news. Today is a day of good news. Don't be guilty of being mute. Let me end with this illustration, something that happened. Um, brother in one of the villages came to me and explained to me a story that had happened. He, uh, a baby had gotten, a newborn baby, born in one of the villages. This baby had gotten sick, uh, just a couple of weeks old. And uh, the mother just left the baby in the hammock. Didn't give him any medical attention or anything like that. No, no medicine, uh, no concern really for the baby, just left it in the hammock. And the brother there, uh, Usias, Usias, he, he went and he saw that the baby was sick. And he's like, he tells the mom, you know, I've, I've got some medicine I could, I could help you out with. You want some medicine? And the mom just said, oh, no, just leave the baby there. Leave the baby. It's, it's okay. Uh, probably be better tomorrow. So the next day, Usias comes to visit. And the baby's worse. Condition is worse. And he's like, you've got to take this medicine. And she's, oh, just leave the baby. Just leave it in the hammock. He's like, well, here, we could take the baby up upriver. It's four hours upriver to get to the, the town where there's a clinic or a hospital. We can take care of the baby. It'll be easy. Solve the problem. And the mom's like, no, four hours, it's a long trip. It's hot. Sun's beating down on your head in the boat and everything. I don't want to do it. Just leave the baby there. It'll get better. Next day, he goes, grave. The baby is in dire straits, going to die. And so we see us. He's like, I am taking the baby. I'm forcing you to go with me. I'm paying the gasoline for the boat motor. We're going upriver. The mother doesn't want to go. He forces her. Finally, they're going. They get around the last curve, four hours upriver. They get around the last curve where you can almost, you can see the city up ahead and there's a clinic there. We're going to get the baby. He has to refuel, put more gas in the, the peke peke motor that he's driving. And he goes back while he's gassing up and he, and he asks the mom, how's the baby? We're almost there. We're going to get the baby to the clinic. 
How's the baby doing? And the mom looks at him and says, without any emotion in her face, well, the baby died a few hours ago. And we see us, he's looking through the blankets and everything. Where's the, where's the baby? She threw it overboard. This is a mother of her own child. Didn't even care. She could have saved the baby's life easily. The first day just giving medicine. Or then after that, taking the baby to the clinic. But the baby died. And this mother is like, didn't even care. I mean, you all hear this story and you should feel indignant. How can this be? What a horrible mother. But you know what? As Christians, we're the same way many times. When we refuse to take the gospel to a dying world. We say, oh, it's uncomfortable. Or it's a difficult trip to the other side of the world. Or it's just a difficult trip to my neighbor's house. It's not comfortable to share the gospel with people while they're dying and going to hell. What are we doing with the gospel? We live in a desperate world. Look at the world around us. Just like Samaria, Satan has set a siege against this world. 95%, yeah, God knows the percentages. I think probably around 95% of the world lost. Desperate situation. We have an incredible message. We must take daring decisions to take that gospel. And today is a day of good news. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. The challenges that we find in your word. Pray that you would help us to take it seriously. Pray that you would give us an eternal perspective. We see the world around us, the state in which it is, horrific things that go on all around us. Abortion is actually illegal in this country. God, the only solution is Jesus Christ. Today is a good day of good news. We have an awesome message. What are we doing just sitting here? Can't go back to where we came from. We don't want to just sit here and waste our lives. Help us to take a risk. Just maybe you'll bless us. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Keep us from unbelief. Put our lives into your hands. Asking that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we might live victoriously. Wherever you put us, whatever job you've given us, help us to put you at the center of all things. In Jesus' name.